let's just, if we could, let's go ahead and jump in uh, to Revelation 21. And we're going to talk about the, the title of this message is Looking for a City. So we're going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth. So let's just go ahead and we're going to dive in. Let's go ahead and look at that scripture for tonight. We'll pray and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So in Revelation 21, does everybody have your place? Oh, see, I didn't even have to ask. Y'all knew to say amen. There we go. It says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, all tears. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I think we could just stop right there, say amen, and have a good night, right? Hallelujah. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful... And unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mount and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Uh, God, I love you. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity, God, just to deliver your word. God, I thank you for each and every person that showed up here at our, at our Fairview campus, all those online right now. And God, I just pray more than ever, God, that you would just touch our hearts. God, there's so many wonderful things that we can see here. God, how you prepared a wonderful place for us. God, you did so many wonderful things for us, and this has been your plan from the beginning. And so, God, I just pray that we're able to see that. God, I pray that we're able to connect to you in a level that maybe we never have before. And God, just to be able to see your glory, to see your majesty in all of this. And God, I just pray that you speak through me tonight, God. Just give me the words to say. God, help me to say exactly what I need to say. And God, help everybody to just be receptive to hear what you want them to hear through your word. And God, I thank you again so much for all that you've done. And God, I pray also that you be there for pastor right now as he's at the other church leading that revival. And God, I pray that he's able to encourage those people, to encourage that pastor in a way that so many others come to know you as their Lord and Savior. God, we thank you so much for all that you've done. Just lead us tonight. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so as I was preparing this message and as I'm reading through everything, I'm going to be honest, it kind of touched me in a way uh, that is good. And it was almost convicting in the sense of, I realize I haven't been thinking about the things I need to think about. 
Because as I began to read what God has laid out through heaven and how he has prepared new things and all these kind of things, I realized something that was, that was very important that I need to do a better job of. And basically what that is, is I need to just be in awe of him and what he's done for me. And uh, I, I just, there's so many different things that, I, that I've seen that he reveals. And I just realized that I think I would be safe to say that most of us, don't look at heaven the way that we need to. And, and of course, if you, if you were to ask anybody in here and you said, is heaven going to be awesome? You would all say, yes, heaven's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. Okay, tell me about it. And you could, you could tell some of these things. But I think too many times we are so focused on the things around us and, and, and this world that we're not looking up. Just look at heaven and just really just sit and how amazing it's going to be. And the fact that he has prepared this place, not just because he wants to be a wonderful creator, but he has prepared it for us to be able to enjoy what he wanted us to be able to enjoy from the beginning. And so he set this up in a way that it's wonderful, it's majestic, and we're going to uncover every bit of that. And I think that that's the, one of the main things that I really want, or that I think God wants us to see today, is we need to just stop sometimes. We need to slow down and we need to think about how wonderful heaven is. But real quick, I know it's been a minute since uh, we talked about Revelation. So I just wanted to do a quick recap kind of on where we're at so we can really feel what's happening today. So the tribulation has happened. It's already over. Judgment has concluded. And he has finished the way with the wicked of the earth. All of those kind of things have uh, been taken away. We went through the great white throne judgment where basically all sinners came before God and he has uh, passed judgment. So all sin has been taken away. All the sinners have. Satan was bound for a thousand years and then he was released. And if you remember, we've talked about this and it was that idea of wait, wait, wait. So Satan is bound up. You've taken care of the wicked. Now there's a thousand years of basically perfection where everything in this is this perfected state of everything is good. And then what do you do with this perfected state? You let Satan go. And it's like, wait, what? What do you mean you let him go? And what we were able to see through that is we were actually able to see what human state actually is. So for a thousand years, people lived in this perfected state. Satan is released and he goes and he deceives the people. And what happens is the people turn their backs on God and it proves exactly what God knew about us the whole time. We are flawed. And so the people turn their backs on God, ultimately finding their place in the lake of fire. But as well, Satan was also turned and thrown into the lake of fire. So we have, again, that great throne judgment, all sinners. And what we realize in that judgment is that there wasn't really distinctions made between the the old and the young the rich and the poor the big and the small it was sinners are sinners and they're all being judged based on their sin it didn't under it didn't matter their status or anything like that they were being judged based on the fact that they had rebelled against god it didn't matter who they were just what they had done so they were all sinners so let's uncover a little bit what's happening so if you have your outline in front of you You'll see kind of how all this is starting out. It says, human history begins in a garden and ends in a city that is like a garden paradise. In the Apostle John's day, Rome was the admired city. And if you go back and you look through history, you'll see that Rome had so many fascinations about it. There were so many ways that things were built, buildings were built, statues were made, the materials they had, everything about Rome was amazing and the people adored it. 
everyone would walk up in amazement. You can actually even do that to this day. You can travel to Rome and just stand in awe of the things about Rome and how it was built and how amazing it was. But look at it. It says, Rome was an admired city, yet God compared it to a harlot. That which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. You see, I think the biggest thing about that, though, is they were admiring the builders and all those kind of things. They weren't thinking about God and his excellence. They were thinking about what was in front of them. So it says the eternal city of God is compared to a beautiful bride because it is the eternal home for God's beloved people. So it says God's statements recorded in Revelation 21, 5 and 6 aptly summarize these final two chapters. So first we see where God is saying, behold, I make all things new. And then the final part there, it is done. So he says, I'm making everything new for you. And then finally, he rests on the idea that it is done. So what begins in Genesis is brought to completion in Revelation, as the following summary shows. So you see, in Genesis, we we see that heaven and earth was created. But in Revelation, you see there's a new heaven and a new earth. You see a sun created, and then we're going to see that there was no need of a sun. There was a night established in creation. Again, remember, he spoke this to existence. And then in Revelation, we see there's not going to be a night. We see in Genesis, the seas were created, but we see that in Revelation, there's no more seas. The divide is taken away. We see that the curse is announced because of the fall of man, but then we see there's no more curse. We see that death enters into history, the biggest curse that happened, and then we see that there's no more death. We see that man is driven from the tree, but then man is restored to paradise. And then finally, sorrow and pain begin again because of man's fall, but then there's no more tears or pain. So there's one more thing I want to say before we kind of put all this in perspective. I I love watching movies. I got this fancy uh, phone here that opens up and makes it a bigger phone so I can watch my movies. Like I'm a movie guy. And the reason I like movies is because I love a good story, right? I love a good story. And usually I like happy endings. I remember the first time I ever watched a movie and it had like a bad ending. I'm like, this is how this movie ends, but that's how we want. All of us are kind of geared to want the happy ending. And so what I want you to see, and as I was reading through this, that's what we see about our story. That's what we see in all of this today, is that we see from Genesis, we see how God created this wonderful place. And it's awesome and it's amazing, but because of God's, or because of man's fall, everything ruins after that. Everything, the people, earth, everything around falls. But as we read through our Bible, and this is why God's word is so, so amazing, is from Genesis all the way to where we're at now, God has painted a picture for us, and he has given us clues along the way. It's like that part in the movie where you're sitting back like, oh, I bet this is about to happen. I know, I'm good at movies. But he's throwing those little glimpses at you so you can be like, oh. And that's what he's done with his word. He's given us prophecies and he's given us all kind of things that's pointing to the direction of the future to say everything's going to be great. And so what we see today is we see the fulfillment of his whole story of redemption brought to reality to be able to say, here's the finale movie ends to be able to say, I've taken everything I've painted the picture and now this is where we're going to be. And it's going to be wonderful, amazing ending. We're crying and it's fascinating. So that's where we're at today. So number one, if you're taking notes, what I want you to see first is the passing, the passing. And again, in verse one, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. 
So a new heaven and a new earth. So let's talk about that for just a second to try to help us to all understand. Number uh, A, if you're taking notes, it was a passing defilement. So what's happened is, is earth was defiled. It was messed up. And so that is being passed away, meaning it's no more. The defilement is gone. So what we need to understand is this idea of a new heaven. So in case you weren't aware, uh, and I, as I was studying more, I may have found some more information, right? Uh, but there is a first heaven, a second heaven, and a third heaven. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I already know that. Preacher's already done this message time and time again. Some of you are like, I didn't have a clue. But we have first, second, and third heaven. So when we think of the first heaven, what we need to think about is the atmosphere, right? We think of the clouds. That's the first heaven. And then we go to the second heaven. That would be like the sun, the stars, the moon, what we would call space. And so beyond that would be the dwelling of God. That is the third heaven. So as we're reading this, we see at the end of that verse one, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And as we are reading this scripture, we can see how basically God's creation was in bondage and travail, and there were issues that were happening. And so also as we're reading that, that, that third heaven, that's where the city of Jerusalem is coming down from. It's not that God's heaven where he resides is new. It's that there's a new heaven, and this new city is coming down to rest where we're at. So what we're going to do... This is a Bible study, so we're going to study. We're going to get a little bit deeper. Let's, uh, if you would, in your Bible, go ahead and flip over to Romans 8, 18, and it's in your notes right there. So what we're going to uncover is how basically creation has been defiled because of what was happening. So the creation is in bondage and travail. So Romans 8, 18, and we're going to read to verse 23. All right, if you found your place, say Amen. There we go. I got some of you. All right. So let's uh, do this in country boy talk right here. It says, for I reckon, (laughs) I always love that, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'm going to read that one more time. It says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, this is the apostle Paul talking. And we got to think about what Paul has been suffering. This is the guy who had the thorn in his flesh. He kept praying to God, please remove this. Please take this from me. This is the guy that's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. You know, he is a guy that's went through some sufferings. And what he says is all these sufferings, I don't even need to compare them to the glory of God because glory of God is so amazing and so wonderful I don't even need to compare him. So basically what that means, if we're still keeping the country boy talk, it's going to be worth it. All of these sufferings, everything that I'm going through is going to be worth it. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject. Now the creature being us was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath been subjected the same in hope. Here we go. Let's listen to this in verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of, what's that word? Corruption Corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption 
to wit, the redemption of our body. So what we're reading in this text, to sum it all up, is basically to say that creation, because of the fall, because sin entered into man, we see that there is a corrupted body. So we see basically the body is dying. So hopefully I didn't give you any new news. We're all dying right now. That sounds really bad when you say it out loud like that, right? So we are all dying right now. And, And that's our state. Now, here's the thing that we need to remember. We need to keep in context the whole time. That is not what God had planned for us. God had a a plan for us to live forever with him, with no pain, no sorrow. But now what we read through this is our body is dying. Not only our body is dying, but the creation is dying around us. The earth is dying. The atmosphere is dying. Everything around us is in a bad state because of sin. Let's go over to the Old Testament. Let's jump over into Isaiah. And we're going to go to Isaiah 65, 17. So we're going to continue to see how that we are in bondage to that corruption. So Isaiah 65, 17, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mine. And if we jump over to 66, 22, it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord. So shall your seed and your name remain. You see, our our body is deteriorating. It's breaking down. And so God realizes, I need a new heaven and a new earth. And so that's what he provides for us. But he takes it a step further, which I love. So that's Old Testament. That's Isaiah talking to us. And he's telling us the prophecy. Again, these are those little glimpses along the way in our story where God is saying, hey, I got something for you. I got something great for you. Don't, don't, don't worry about your sufferings. It's going to be worth it. I've got something better for you. But we're going to jump over to Matthew 19, 28. And we're going to see a, uh, a great word that God gives us to help us to understand this even further. So we go over to our New Testament. And we go over to Matthew 19 in verse number 28. And it says, and Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the, what's that word? Regeneration. Regeneration. When the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, we also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we see this idea of regeneration. We see this idea of regeneration. And regeneration, it's not thinking like the millennium state that preacher had been talking about, but this is an eternal state of regeneration. So something being made new. So regeneration, if we look at that term, it is the act or process of coming back, growing anew, or a spiritual rebirth. And what I want you to know about this new heaven and this new earth, we're not talking about new in the sense of time. We're talking about new as like a a qualitative state, like it it is something brand new. We're passing away the old, something new. And I don't know my mind, maybe it's just because I deal with kids all the time and I hear stories, but (laughs) as we were talking about something that regenerates and comes back, I just started, I, I literally started chuckling as I was reading this and thinking about regeneration because what popped in my head was the idea of a lizard. 
All right. Yeah, I know. I was like, a lizard. But what, what was cool to me, and, and I don't know if this was just like a God moment or it was just my brain being childish, but God showed me and said, basically, hey, I give you glimpses, not only in my word, but in the world and in creation. And the reason I say a lizard is because if a lizard loses its tail, what happens? It grows right back. Now, I know I, know I may be chasing something far when we're comparing this to heaven, okay? I understand. I'm well aware of that. But I'm just thinking about the idea of regeneration, that something has been taken away so that something new can come in. And I don't actually know if a, if a lizard's new tail is better, but we're going to say for context tonight, it is. And I studied it and I researched the tail comes back stronger. I don't know that, but it would make my, my, story, my outline of my sermon sound a lot better, right? So that tail comes back stronger, faster than ever, right? But this is a regenerated lizard and God gives us a small glimpse into how amazing he is. Now, obviously, again, as we talk about heaven and the new heaven and the new earth, it is nothing to be compared to a lizard. But it is something so amazing and so fascinating. So we see that they're passing defilement. But there's one more verse that I want us to read, and that's 2 Peter 3, 10, and 13. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. And I love how he put it into context. Because again, remember, we're talking about how the defiled world has been messed up and God is getting it away. God is allowing all those things to be passed away. So if we go 2 Peter 3.10 through 13, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great uh, noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now, I don't know if you've taken science class on how good you were in it, but basically everything we look at, we'll say everything that you look at in the world is based, has elements within it, right? So they're elements. It's down to a, a finer level. It says basically all the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, which is really cool. Yeah. It shall melt with a fervent heat. So basically what we're seeing here is that everything is going to be taken down. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are there within shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? As a little side note, the word conversation, think conduct. How you are acting, how you're performing. So what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the element shall melt with fervent heat. So what we have just read in just this context, and I love how Second Peter just illustrates this. It says, basically, all the elements are going to be burned. The heavens are going to be dissolved in a fire. So everything around is going to be taken away. All the defilements, everything that's corrupt is going to be taken away. We can even look at Job, and Job kind of references how the heavens are not good in God's sight. And so God is basically, what he's doing is he is taking away every single thing that would corrupt, removing it for something that is pure. This is the other thing that I saw too, which is really, really cool. I'm telling you, I love this. I love this study that I had. Um, And as a side note, I got a lot of those, by the way. Um, Is as I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking about everything in the earth 
that's being taken away. I think about what's in my life right now. Take my car, my fancy phone I showed you earlier that opens and lets me see movies, social media, my job. All those things are going to be taken away. And what I realized in that moment, like if I don't have my car, I don't have my phone, and everything else in the world's taken away, what is that going to leave? A God who deserves my worship. And it was in that moment that God said, I have not had your attention because you've been focused on so many other things. I've asked to have your worship, and I really haven't got it in the way that I wanted. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take it away from you. But I, I don't sit here and think where it's God just rolling, ruling over and saying, now worship me. It's like, and now you have the opportunity to experience me in the fullness. That you're not going to worry about anything else around you because what you're going to be able to focus on is a God who loves you and has given you all of this and you don't have to worry about anything else. Everything is going to be taken away and made in a wonderful state. And then the other part here, B, is a passing divide. We see as we read that, if we jump back over to Revelation 21, we see there was no more C. We see that there was no more C. Um, I actually read this uh, at VBS. I read this scripture. I passed right over this part because I'm like, okay, no more C. Like that, that's kind of a bummer. I really like the beach, you know. I like to swim in the beach. I like the waves. So that's kind of a bummer, but okay. But then like, I, you stop and there's a reason this is in there, right? And so the divide is going to be gone. And I'm like, Okay, why is that important? Why is the divide? Why is the fact that there's no seas, why is that important? Well, what I want you to realize is that the sea is a thing that divided the people of this earth away from each other. You have oceans in between, and, and, and pastors actually done this before, where we took the map, and you look at the whole world, and you can actually piece everything back together. It's not really that complicated, except for there's big bodies of ocean right in the middle of it. But you take the seas away and everything comes together. And so what happens is there's no more divide between the people. And you may say, well, again, why does this matter? Because what I realize is as I'm studying through this is this was actually a form of judgment towards the people. So if we go back into the Old Testament, we think about the Tower of Babel and we think about how God, how the people had began to say, hey, I'm going to build a tower and we're going to make it to God and we're going to go up there. That wasn't really so much the issue as much as it was, we're going to build it and everybody's going to know who we are. So they got very prideful. And even to the sense where God looks down at them and says, there's basically not going to be anything these people can accomplish. And this is a bad situation. So what he does is he changes the tongue of the people. He changes their language. And because they have language barriers, what they do is they turn and they separate all across the world. And the sea is there and it separates them. So now if we go back and we realize that the defilement, the sin and the wickedness and the judgment has came and, and sin is no more and the wicked people are now in the lake of fire and Satan is gone and everything is good, we can bring the people back together. And not only bring the people back together just for the sake of having them together, but as you start thinking about that, you think about the community that is now there. You think about how we are all now believers of Christ together. Now imagine what the world would be right now if it was just always like this is a group of believers, right? 
So what if everywhere you went, it was a group of believers? Like, think about how your conversations would change. Like, hey, you want to talk about God real quick? But now we walk outside like, ooh, they may not, ooh, they may be mad at me. They may say something bad to me if I start talking about God, right? But it's a group of people. But this is the other thing that, that really, man, it, it made me tear up a little bit because I start realizing, like, I have family members that live out. I've got a father who lives in Oklahoma. I've got a mom that's, she's eight miles down the road, but it still seems like an eternity away, right? And then I've got people scattered out. And I actually just took a trip. I got to fly up north uh, to Pennsylvania this past weekend. I got to hang out with the church up there that's interested in doing the disciples movement. But the, thing, the reason I'm telling you this is I was away from my kids for like two to three days. Which you may say, two to three days. I'm literally sitting in a hotel room by myself. And I'm like, well, I'm bored out of my mind. Like this is the moment I want my three-year-old just running in this room screaming loud just so... I would have some fun, you know? So I'm like, okay, well, I'll go, I guess I'll go downstairs to the gym and work out. Work out for an hour. I come back. I'm like, I am still bored. I wish my family was here. I got to go visit a sister that was about four or five hours away. I got to, it was two hours, but I haven't seen her in like three years. So I got to connect with her. And as soon as I saw her, like I felt good about it. Right. And so I connected her with her for two hours. I went back to the hotel and I'm like, man, I got to go home. Okay, tomorrow's home. But when I pull into that airport and I come out of the terminal and my kids are there, Daddy! And we are connected. And I tell you all that to say, it was something about that moment that I was just able to be with them and that separation was no more, that I was able to be with my kids and it was like, okay, I'm together. And so I see here, as I see the sea is gone, I see that God is bringing us all together to say, there's no more separation. We as believers are come together to just bask in in my glory, to be able to see me and to do these kind of things. So we see that the divide is gone and God is bringing us together. And so as God has gotten away with all this defilement, as he's gotten rid of everything, as he's now bringing us together, he said, okay, now it's presentation time, which is number two, the presentation. So we look at verse two. I've spent this much time and I'm only on verse two. All right, and it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold. So what we see is a city just coming down and and angel just saying, Behold, look at what's coming. And there's a preparation that's here. We see something has been prepared. Now what I want us to do is let's flip over to John 14. Y'all have heard this verse many a times. But is it a great one? And I want us to see it in the Bible right here. So John 14 and we are going to start in verse 1. And it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to do what? To prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. I am preparing a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place for you. And this is a place full of peace. God said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Have peace. 
I am preparing a perfect place for you. And, and not only that, I am going to get you and bring you to me. So he's preparing a place, and here it comes, and he says, this is it. Behold. And if we had been doing what we we're supposed to do and reading and staying in our word, we would have came across this verse multiple times where Jesus is constantly, if we're reading our scripture, and that's why it's so important to continually stay in his word to be reminded of those things. So that when he says, behold, you're like, this is what he's been talking about. And you can be excited. But even when I said, behold, you're like, yeah, that's that city thing, right? That's that place we hear about that preacher says every message. But we should be like, there it is. The wait is over and here it is. Behold, this is what I have prepared. And the other thing to just remember is that Jesus was in the beginning at creation. And when he was, when they were speaking it to existence, he created everything perfect for us. And this same Jesus has been in heaven preparing another wonderful place for you. Only this time, it's not going to be wrecked. Because he has ensured that everything is safe and everything is lining up so that it works out exactly how he wanted it to from the beginning. He has let us fall. He has let us do whatever we wanted to the moment of now. Here's my way and here's what you've missed out on. And here's this wonderful dwelling. And so as we see this city coming down, we see so many things about it. We see so many things about it. And we're going to skip down to verse 9. And it says, There came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me, saying, Hey, come hither. I will show thee the bride, thy lamb's wife. It said, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, that holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And it starts to go on. It goes on and says there's a wall great. It had 12 gates. There was 12 angels. And then it goes over here and it lists all these different stones and all this different material and all these wonderful things in here. But the first thing that I want you to see is as we're going, and you can read, and it talks about, it goes on to say uh, over in verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was one of pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold as it were transparent glass. Here's the thing that I want you to realize. This is what's amazing. And, and I, as we read this, we're going to see things that it's like, I can't really understand what that means. Because we can't, because we don't have the brain of God that could comprehend how majestic and wonderful this is going to be. But he gives, gives us enough of a glimpse to make us just sit there and wonder and say, I, I wonder what that's like. But it says this gold, the street of gold is so pure that it's like crystal. So what we see is that it's transparent. And again, this is that moment where I'm like, again, I've read this before and I'm like, okay, transparent. I got it. I understand. But I didn't. Because when we start to see the transparency, what we realize and what we should have seen and it said in verse 11, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone. And so what we see and we'll see in just a second too, is that God is in this place and his glory is radiating everywhere. 
Now, if it wasn't transparent and it was just a box and like an opaque stone, it would, the radiation would just stop in wherever that box was. But because the streets are transparent, because the walls are transparent, because the stones are so pure that they're crystal-like, basically what you can do is no matter where you're at in the city, in heaven, you see God's glory radiating everywhere. To, To what extent? Jump to verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine it. For the glory of God delight in it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. It is so bright and it radiates so well that there is no need for a sun. There is no need for a moon. There is now no night because darkness cannot be in God because his glory radiates everywhere. And here's the thing. Even when I was studying that and I wrote down everything I just told you, I still didn't get it. I still didn't get it because what I didn't realize is I was only thinking about me. And I'm thinking about how so many others before us had to be around God. So if we go Old Testament, if we go Old Testament, back in the Old Testament, we can see this idea of a tabernacle. And basically what this was is this is where the presence of God was with his people. They would have to build this tent. And God's glory was in the Holy of Holies and it stayed inside that. It wasn't transparent. So maybe you see some radiation, but it was still hidden. And then they would pack up shop and they would move and they would build this tent again but it wasn't in his fullness. And that's as close as people got to experience the glory of God. And then the only person that could see it was the high priest. Because if you weren't the high priest and you walked in there, you were dead. Right? So that's what he gave us. Is we in this state as human flesh, we cannot experience the glory. But as we've learned over the weeks, God gives us a glorified body. We are now in heaven. Everything is transparent. He's pulled back the curtain. He's removed the walls. And he said, look at me. And now you can experience me in my fullness. So people in past, we've only got to see glimpses of his glory. When something great happens here, we can only see glimpses of his glory. When we gather together here in church, we can only see glimpses of his glory. But as we get into heaven, we get to see it in its fullness. No need for the sun. God has allowed us to experience something great. That's the majesty. And then we look at the measurements. As the city is coming down, the Bible literally gives us the measurements. Which what I love about this is this isn't just like John thinks he sees something. There's an angel that comes down and literally measures everything for them to figure out this is 1,500 miles wide by 1,500 miles long by 1,500 miles up. This is a cube. Now you may say, okay, that's a big heaven. That's just the city. That's just the city that comes down. Right? Right? And so that's how big it is. We see the measurements. Now, if you're like me, you got to the measurements and you're okay. Okay, that's big. But as you do research, you figure out that if you take all the people from the beginning of time with Adam to exactly right now, All of the population, everybody that's ever lived, there is more than enough room for every single person there. And you may say, Josh, why is that a big deal? Because what this points at to me is that God is an all-loving God who prepared a place for every single person in the world. And so as you go out and you you hear people say, well, if if, if God is so loving, why would he send people to hell? He doesn't. He made a heaven 
that is perfect and fits every single person that has ever lived. And if we look at hell, we see that Satan and his angels are there. Why? Because they rebelled. So why are people going to hell? Because they rebelled. But God in his wonderfulness, in his grace, made a place that was sufficient for every single person to live in heaven. So it is another promise and a confirmation that our God is an all-loving God. But yes, he is also just that we just saw because all the sinners in their wickedness went to hell. But he is an all-loving God that has made a place for every single, per- uh, for every single person. Which also points to the idea that we have got to get out and do and fulfill our purpose of spreading the gospel and helping people there. So there's the measurements. But not only that. We also see... The materials. I think it's so cool that he gives the materials too. Like he could just, John could have just said, look man, it was amazing, greatest thing you could ever see. And um, that's about all I can tell you. But he's like, here, let me go ahead and give you the measurements. Let me tell you all the stones were, that were in there. And so if we look at that Jasper stone, if we look at that Jasper stone, and it, actually if we look at all the stones, what we see is we keep seeing the quality of the stone. It's that it was so pure that it was transparent. You could see through it. That is a stone in its purest sense. So the quality was good. It was pure. But not only that, all those stones were super durable. And what we do is as we read through and we see the foundation and we see the walls and we see they're made of these stones, basically what God is pointing to is the idea that it's durable. It is going to last for eternity. It's going to go on forever and ever. But then if we take that Jasper stone, and as I was studying that Jasper stone, I thought it was just different how he separated that from all the other stones over there in verse 11. And if we look at the Jasper stone, if we think about a Jasper stone, I don't know if you know stones. I didn't. Uh, so I had to look it up. And the Jasper stone that we have now is like an opaque. You can't see through it. And I was like, well, that's contrary. But as you go and you look at the transliteration of this word and you go to the Greek, the term is actually Iaspis. Didn't know. And what is that? That refers to a translucent stone. So a stone that you can see. And as you really start to look in this, this is where I'm bringing it all to, that talks about and basically refers to a diamond in its purest sense. That very costly, very crystal clear. So basically this capital city, this Jerusalem that's coming down, John is seeing it as a flawless diamond retracting the beautiful blazing glory of God. Now, I've never seen a wonderful, I've been close to a beautiful diamond. It was in the case and the person looking at me coming up to the case was looking at me funny like you can never afford this, you need to go somewhere else. But I'm just thinking about like a whole city coming down, you know, like just a big diamond shining. And, and, And as it's coming down, remember, he says, behold, and you see radiating because remember, it's see through and God's glory is just shining. So you know you're sitting there beholding like, wow, Wow. behold. And so it's pictured as a flawless diamond coming down. And here's, I'm going to run through this real quick because I don't have much more time. And if I hold us over, and I've told preacher multiple times, man, you got to cut it off because we got kids back here, parents and all that. I cannot be that guy that lets us go over. Now I'm going to tell you this, if you didn't know this about me, I like to talk. 
<laughs> so there's still a chance, but I'm trying to get you out of here. But for real, what, what I want you to also see too, is as we look at this, just real quick, you can see how he describes in this material. You see it had, in verse 12, it had a uh, wall great and high and had 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels and the names written on, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. There was th- uh, on the east, there were three great gates. On the north, there was three gates. On the south, there was three gates. And on the west, there were three gates. And not only that, the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So as I'm seeing this, this laid out, I see all of these walls and you see the 12 tribes of Israel laid out. And the reason that, that is, it, it, we should really find fascination with that is because what that does is each of the 12 tribes was basically how God kept his covenants with the people of Israel. So as we look at these 12 names along the tops of this wall, what you see is God reassuring his covenant that he had with the people of Israel, how he had kept all his promises to people past, how he kept all the promises through scripture and how he kept the promise of the Messiah, because this is all pointing to the very beginning covenant he ever made. But then what you see is along the base, you see the 12 names of the apostle. And what that is, is that is the covenant to the church. The apostles who created the church. So you see at the top the promise and the covenants made of Old Testament. And you see all the promises made for the New Testament. So why is that awesome? Because God keeps his promises. And what God has promised is that if we trust in him and we put our faith in him, he has given us a wonderful new heaven and a new earth that he has promised us. So God keeps his promises. And again, we should just sit there for a minute. And praise God that he keeps his promises. So we see the passing. Number two, we see the presentation. Number three, we see the presence. We see the presence. When he said, behold, he said, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God And so what we see here, we saw, I told you earlier about the Old Testament, how the tabernacle was there and how that's how the uh, God got to stay with the people in the Old Testament. And what it's saying here is the tabernacle of God is with men. So what this is saying is, A, if you're taking notes, it's an abiding presence. It's an ongoing presence. God is not leaving. God is staying with his people. He is there to stay with them forever. He is going to be with us forever. Now, again, we've got to experience little glimpses of how Jesus works in our lives and and offers us blessings and how we can walk out of this building and see creations of God and just realize that God is real there. But it's not until we're going to be in heaven that we're able to put our eyes on him and see his presence, the glory radiate the way that it does. But not only is he going to be with us forever, but there's an abolishing presence. An abolishing presence. Verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. So let me try to combine these real quick. These two. We see that there's an abiding presence. He's going to be with us forever. If you had to say, what is the main contrast between heaven and hell? Hell there is no God. Heaven there is a God. Like as bad as the the lake of fire is going to be torturous and horrible, it's nothing in comparison 
to the lack of being connected to a God that loves you. Because here's the thing, as they're in the lake of fire and they're dealing with the pain and the sorrow and the despair and everything happening, there's not going to be any relief for them at all. You see, it's not going to be like they're, they're there for a thousand years getting tortured and God walks up and says, okay, it's been long enough, now come to me. There will be no help. God will not be in hell. Those people are there for eternity and they will receive no help. But in heaven, God is there, which means there is no pain. There's no sorrow because God cannot be connected to that. Think about the life of Jesus when he was here on the earth. Anytime that Jesus was faced with certain death where they were going to kill him, he avoided it and went around it until ultimately the cross. But that was his destiny. Or we see when he comes up to somebody that's suffering with pain and sorrow, what does he do? He heals them and and takes care of the infirmities and whatever it may be. God is healing. Not just spiritual, but the physical as well. God is removing every bit of this so that there will be no tears. You see, and there will be no reason for crying because all of these things have been removed. Where the only expression you can have is joy, peace. And all those kind of things. Everything else has been taken away. He has removed all of the things. And here's my side note. As I was studying this. I was thinking about all the pain, the sorrow that I've been in. The things that I still deal with to this day. And all of that, we know, and and, and we've talked about time and time again. None of that was God's plan. God's plan in the beginning, again, was that we didn't have to face these kind of things. But we do. Because of our own faults a lot of times. Because of the, same, the, the actions that we do. The way that we live our lives. We're faced with issues and pain and sorrow. And sometimes it's out of our own hands. But here's the thing. Is as we look at heaven. The thing that I think God really wants us to hear. And I know somebody in, needs to hear this right now. Is that as we look at this pain and this sorrow. What we try to do is we try to take care of it ourselves. And what we have just re- talked about for the last hour. Is how God removed it in an instant. How there was an atmosphere that was defiled and God burned it up with fire. How there was wickedness and it was judged and they went to the lake of fire. And how he took care of sin in a moment. And too many times with these issues and the sorrow and this pain, we try to deal with it. Or we don't deal with it, but we also don't go to God. And what God is trying to remind us of right now is I remove it all. So in your moment of despair and sorrow, literally come to me and only me. And I can give you rest. And I will take care of it. And then again, he reminds us in the verse that we read earlier when we were talking about Paul. And the sufferings, it's going to be worth it. Only if you pursue him. So all that's going to be taken away. And finally, we see the perfection. We see the perfection. In verse number 8, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, God's already got a plan to take care of this. All of these people are going to have their part in the lake of fire. And what's interesting, and I would just make a note there on shall have their part. There's some biblical scholars and pastors that think this is the part talking about how each sinner will receive a different judgment. And I just think about the rest of the Bible and how it points to 
uh, God is just and he is righteous. And people will have to answer for what they had to answer to. And, and then as I started thinking about it again, if each person wasn't going to receive a different judgment based on their sin, what would be the need for the white throne judgment? You would basically just pass them in a lake of fire. But they have to come before God and answer for the things that they did. So we're seeing here that each of them have their part. But this is the thing that really, really, really stood out to me. It says, but the fearful. And that's the one that stood out. Now you may say, Josh, but you have murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers. Why did that stand out? Because to me, all those other ones, you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, I understand. But the fearful. And I think this is where a lot of people are these days is in this category, the fearful. And what I mean by that, this is the people that basically didn't take that step to go to God because they were afraid. Maybe they were afraid of their reputation. Maybe they were afraid of what they were going to have to give up. But they're afraid. And then the other thing I think, too, is because we as people really like to uh, compare ourselves to others, especially our sin. Because if we can find somebody that's a worse sinner than us, it makes us feel better. You know what I mean? We compare it. And I think that's where a lot of people are in this fearful state. They say, well, I think I'm good enough. I mean, I look at, I look at Charlie over here and he's done this, 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 and this. I look at her over there and she's done this, 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 and this. So I think I'm okay. And so they feel like they're in this place of being good enough. I actually talked with a guy on the airplane on the way back. And I asked him if he believed in heaven or hell. He said, I do. And I said, how do you think you get to heaven? And he said, well, I'd like to think it's because I'm good enough. And that broke my heart because in his mind, what he's saying is, I think I'm going to get there. I think I'm going to get there. I'm too afraid to try to research more because I even said, hey, man, I'm here. We're about to jump on another flight together. So if you want to talk about it more, here's my story. I gave him my story track. I said, if you want to talk about it more. In my opinion, he was too afraid to just ask the question, how can I do that? Or he was thinking, I'll be good. But he was too afraid maybe of his reputation. So he's too fearful. And the unbelieving, they're going to be in the lake of fire. And so all this points to, again, the idea that not everyone's going to make it to heaven, and we know that. And that's why it's so important we get out and we do what we're supposed to do and share the gospel with people around us. And I know God's not mentioning this here, but when I see fearful, I also think about the many times that I've been afraid to have conversations. That's not speaking to the same thing, but I've been fearful to have a conversation. But what if I started to realize the greatness of heaven and that all that God did, and if I think about the measurements and how big it is, that God's plan was for every single person to be in that place. And what if I had not been fearful? What if I had begun to share so that others can experience the fullness of his glory? How much would things have changed and how much would things be better? Something to think about. But we see the absence of wicked sinners and finally we see the absence of a worship structure. And so if we go over to verse 22, it says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So as John is looking into this city, he looks and he sees there's no temple. There's no place for God just to sit up and reside. There's no temple. And why is that? Because God is everywhere. 
And it's not like we have to travel to see God. We don't have to travel for miles and miles. God is literally everywhere. And so what this does is it takes away the, the idea of we all have to come together to a certain spot to worship. We are going to be able day and night worship God. We are going to be able to day and night just experience this greatness. We're going to be able to day and night be remembered that there's no pain, there's no sorrow. We're going to be able to day and night be connected to our community of believers. Day and night, we're going to be reminded how God delivered us from a certain judgment. How God redeemed us. How God created a wonderful picture for us that even though we were dead to our sins and even though he could have left the story of what the story was in the beginning, well, I gave you something good and you ruined it. He said, here's my story and I've allowed you to be a part of it. But the thing I need to say before I leave in my 50 seconds that I have left, in the time, and with all the people that is in this room, I would probably be safe to say that not everybody in here has trusted in the Lord. And I would be very wrong not to challenge you to not be afraid. And I don't think he would, he would mind, especially because he's not here and he's not even going to hear it anyway. But Jalen, what about a reputation of a worship leader to stand in front of people after years and years and say, I just got saved. And what was that? Six years ago? Five years ago? Leading worship. And the man had to get rid of a reputation to stand up in front of a crowd who already expected it. So there may be people around you saying, you should have already done this by now. But you didn't. Who cares? Do it now. Because here's the thing, you don't want to miss out on the opportunity to experience all of this greatness. And I can't do it justice. John didn't do it justice. It is going to be the most amazing thing you have ever seen. And even if the stones weren't really that pretty and you're like, oh, my husband bought me one of those and it's prettier. It's going to have God in his fullness, which is going to be better than anything else. And if you don't trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive you, if you don't break down that fear and ask him to deliver you from your sin, you won't get to experience it. But what you will experience is eternity of torment. And a lake of fire. And above all, the absence of God. And if it took a whole lot of hoops and obstacles to work through, I would say, okay, well, let's talk about it. And let's try to figure out a course. No, he's already laid out the course. He said, believe and trust in me. Ask me to forgive you. And just as Josh has talked about for the last hour, he, I keep my promises. And I promise if you ask me to forgive you, I will and I will remove your sin and you can experience greatness. It's that simple. So I challenge you, don't be afraid. For the rest of us that are, I challenge you, don't be afraid. Share the gospel with somebody this week. Because you could, make, you could literally change somebody's life for eternity. You have that power. And it's not because of your power, because of how good you are. It's because Christ living in you that gives you that power. And he will help you to do what he's commanded you to do.